In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Hour two of the Chuck Oliver Show on a Friday, and it's Championship Friday. Actually, we got a championship game tonight. Um, and Foo, we had Pete Futek on in hour one, um, and he mentioned something, you know, principle I've talked about, and it's not just me, but the ability to beat a team twice in a season. In college football, it doesn't come around ever so often, but it historically, for whatever reason, uh, it seems to be seems to, to hold water. And I say for whatever reason, I've given you my reason. Because in football, it is such a, again, concrete, hands-on-the-opponent sort of sport. If you just beat a team, that means you physically beat them in most cases. And so if you were just bigger and stronger a week ago, a month ago, three months ago, and we're playing them again, well, we got to figure it out, man. Whereas the opponent, especially if you're in a championship setting, that means it's a quality opponent. And that staff is looking at things going, all right, we got to come up with a better way. Where's the mousetrap? So, again, that's tonight and then the full slate tomorrow and then Sunday as they, you know, broadcast for however many hours it is. I think it's, I think it's six hours from the, hi, welcome to ESPN Studios to, all right, everybody, we'll see you for the bowl games. I think that is six hours when they have the entire bowl lineup and everything, the playoff seats, all of that announced. I think it's six hours. So uh, we have Futak again, College Football News. We had Connor O'Gara, Saturday Down South, coming up in about 10. Travis Ryer going to come on and give us the news from Tuscaloosa. He's part of BamaOnline.com. And then Seth Emerson from The Athletic going to talk Georgia football, flip side of the field in the uh, SEC championship game. So hour two is going to be all about what's happening in Atlanta right now. Let me get you up to date. Everything you need to know about college football every single day. This is CFB 365. For the most part, this is just coaching. And I don't know if I mentioned this yesterday. I meant to. Steve Adazio was out at Colorado State after two seasons. Last year, I believe they only played four games. I think they went one and three. And then this year wasn't what they wanted, so he's out. And it was a curious hire anyway. He's been, at times, successful offensive line coach. He was, at times, successful-ish as the head coach at BC. But there was always a ceiling with that style of play, especially in a big-time conference. Uh, You were never going to have the athletes be able to match up. And and maybe that's why you were playing that style. But uh, you put a cap on it yourself. So, anyway, it didn't work at Colorado State. It was just a weird hire. It didn't have time. Whatever. Just – shouldn't have ever happened and so they wasted two years of their program's time and now he's out troy has a head coach now and i told chip Lindsay got fired a week ago two weeks ago whenever um not being flippant about that i just can't recall and this is why i I say it all the time when i bring up whether it's a job that's kind of outside the footprint of most of our listeners why is he talking about the opening at arizona or why is he talking in the footprint of this show, but why is he talking about the opening at uh, Tulane or something? Because a lot of times they're coming for your coach. And that is the case. Troy has hired Kentucky's John Sumrall. He's the co-DC for the Wildcats. 
So we're on in Kentucky. We had a couple of affiliates up there. They came for your coach. Uh, Co-DC, he's got history at Troy, and he's got and the, he and his wife, they, they've got an affinity for the program and the area, and it kind of it's like a lot of places, especially a quote, college town grows on you. And so now he's going back as the head coach. Bully for him. East Carolina has locked up Mike Houston, who they brought on board, and he corrected things. I think it was a direct transition from Scotty Montgomery. I'm trying to remember. I might be off on that. But uh, Mike Houston has had success. He bounced them back, man. They're a bowl team this year. So Pirates got their head coach with an extension, which that only matters as long as somebody doesn't come knocking on the door going, yeah, that's a nice extension you got, but we're going to give you a lot of money. Uh, And then Bronco Mendenhall. Dan, what'd you do? Bronco Mendenhall, your guy's gone. He has decided to step down after six seasons. I got to tell you, it's a higher profile version of, of what I've said about Ted Roof at Duke, for instance, and I'm not trying to be broke because Bronco won, and he went to bowl game. He didn't win enough. He didn't win enough. It was largely average. And so he's moving on. He has expressed a little bit of a, a deflated sort of attitude towards the general state of coaching and college football and et cetera, et cetera, on a lot of fronts anyway. Uh, so he is going to step away. Consider yourself up to date. All right, we're going to break. Come back. Talk Alabama with Travis Fryer next. Now back to Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. You better watch out. You better not cry. It's all college football on the Chuck Oliver Show. And it's easier some days than others. This is one of them because we've got just the best of the best left playing, um, at least at this point. And then a lot more teams start playing when we announce 40-couple bowls. Uh, But it's championship weekend. Uh, There are just a couple of regular season games left. We've got a Cal-USC game. We've got Army-Navy. There are just a few going on, uh, et cetera. I want to welcome on now a guy who does a great job covering Alabama has done for, oh, a couple decades from BamaOnline.com. It's Travis Ryer. Travis, amigo, how are you today? I'm great, Chuck. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, I have failed myself this week because I always have the attitude, there's always a way. You give me a yellow legal pad and a black ink pen in a couple of days, I can I can launch rockets, man. I can figure out anything. And I haven't been able to figure out how Alabama's going to win tomorrow, you know, shy of plus three and, you know, turnovers and a kick return and all that. Um, what's your path? What's your way? Because I'm asking everybody, and, I mean, it's such a tangible, hands-on sport that it's it's tough to invent a way. It is. I mean, you watch Georgia throughout the course of this season. just hasn't been much of a road bump at all. I think you can go back to last year's game in Tuscaloosa, though. And in that game, Alabama was able to get Stetson Bennett up the 40 pass attempts. And when that happened, he threw three picks. Now we can say maybe Stetson Bennett has improved from that experience, more mature, better understanding of what to do with the football. But I think there are some examples, uh, starting with the Alabama defense, which we have probably undervalued as much as any aspect of this game and sort of constantly talking about Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt and Kobe Dean going against that Alabama offense, which certainly right now is out of sorts up front on that offensive line. And Brian Robinson dealing with that uh, muscle pull, It's, it's a sort of a confluence of events here for Alabama offensively that couldn't have come at a worse time. But 
you know, I think that's what it starts with when you start talking about Alabama's chance in the game. I think the defense has to be spectacular. I think they have to figure out a way that maybe uh, Bennett has to become more of a passer like he did in last year's game. And, look, last year's game, Monken panicked. Uh, Georgia panicked in the third quarter. Alabama went ahead by a field goal. Next eight plays, Chuck, Bennett threw it eight times. Two of those were intercepted. After that, it was Alabama's game. Continuing with Travis Ryer. Again, you can get him online uh, and have for a while. BamaOnline.com does a great job covering the Tide. Let's talk about something that you mentioned there. And, uh, you know, I, I caught myself last night. I was like, what am I not thinking of? What am I not figuring out? And I realized, well, let's talk about the very first step, who actually is going to play for Alabama before you can figure out, all right, can they get it done? You mentioned uh, Brian Robinson. That's a great place to start. Uh, pulled muscle, I believe, is the verbiage. Um, give me your either opinion, understanding, knowledge, whatever you got about Brian Robinson. Yeah, instead of a double whammy, I guess it was a double hammy against Auburn last week because nice. he goes 37 yards. And at the end of it, you see him grabbing for that hamstring. Um, so uh, it was sort of that kind of game for Alabama last week. Even when something went right, even Emil Echior being penalized 15 yards for playing without his helmet on. I mean, it was that kind of day for the Alabama offense. But, no, that's critical, obviously. Not even so much in terms of just what Brian brings to the offense from a production standpoint, also as a pass protector against guys like N'Kobe Dean and others that like to get after the quarterback. Um, Identification when it comes to blitz pickups, you're not going to have maybe as much of that, certainly if Brian's not in the game. So, A lot of this could fall to Trey Sanders, the former five-star running back. He's been through a couple of pretty significant injuries in his career. Mm -hmm. I did some good things in the fourth quarter against Auburn last week, but, you know, four quarters against George is a different ball game, as we know. And I think Alabama's tight ends, we're going to talk so much about Brock Bowers and, man, how explosive he's been, how great he's been for that Georgia offense. But I think Cameron Latou and Jalil Billingsley, need to revert back to their early season form and supplement the run game or maybe in some ways replace it uh, with their production, not only in terms of receiving, but uh, they're going to have to show up in blocking as well. Yeah, I don't know if Billingsley stole from the collection plate or was on the grassy knoll or what, (laughs) but uh, he's in Dutch. There's no doubt about it. Let's talk about uh, Darren. First of all, Darren Dalcourt, the ankle, but then, and I'm not trying to be (laughs) – you know, cruddy here, but if he's 100% healthy, what do you think of the matchup with Jordan Davis? Uh, it's difficult, you know. It, it, again, we talk about differences in teams, and you look at the game from last year. I mean, you had two fifth-year seniors in that interior for Alabama, not just big physical NFL types and Deontay Brown and Landon Dickerson. These were grown-ass men, fifth-year seniors, right? You go a year later, you got Javion Cohen, a second-year guy at left guard, and now it looks like you might have Seth McLaughlin, a second-year player at center based on Dahlcourt situation. So, you know, we can talk about the talent, and there's certainly a ton of it when you look at Georgia in that front seven. But as much as anything, guys like Wyatt, guys like Davis, these are seniors. You know, these are grown-ups. And, you know, that's a big difference, as you know, in that area of the football field. Uh, when you start talking about those type of differences. Jalen Armour Davis, he didn't play at all uh, hip issue, and he's a ball player. Uh, what about him? Yeah, that's going to be interesting uh, tomorrow afternoon in the pregame warm-ups to see if Armour Davis is back. If he's not, I think they've got confidence 
at this point in uh, Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid history. Yeah, they should, that, man. Uh, He's not shy, is he? It, no, whether it's Job or Jalen Armour Davis, I think if McKinstry doesn't start the game, if either one of those guys have an issue, I don't think you'll see Nick Saban uh, try to try to stretch his starters, so to speak. He'll go to the pen, I would think, pretty quickly if McKinstry doesn't just flat out start the game tomorrow. Last thing, and I was talking earlier this week. Um, you think most people listening today know who Harry Gilmer was or is um because i said that if if you think a halfback who threw a jump pass in 1940 whatever if that's still relevant okay but i said other than that bama's never had a player go first overall i said there's a there's a 19 year old who i think is good enough that he could go overall in a year and a half um i think will anderson he's that that scratch off ticket he's that lottery thing for bama tomorrow when you have a monster like that on the edge he can have that game it could be two or three turnovers that he creates tomorrow it's got to be that Derek thomas game but he's good enough in my opinion uh give me your download on will anderson yeah he's a game wrecker he's a real x factor tomorrow when we talk about sort of the scenario that you know, Alabama would like to get the Georgia offense into, man, to get Georgia one-dimensional and Stetson Bennett or JT Daniels or both sort of in passer-first mode and get Georgia out of that balanced approach that's been so good for them this year. Uh, that's when Will Anderson can totally take over a game. And I know people look at him and say, well, he's an outside linebacker. Well, you know what? He's got over 80 tackles as an outside linebacker. Chuck, you understand how ridiculous that stat is for an outside yeah. linebacker to have – 80-plus tackles. This isn't a guy who just is a pass rusher and has, you know, 45 tackles and 15 sacks. This is a guy with 80-plus tackles. I think you could put, much like Alabama did with Cornelius Bennett, Derek Thomas, I think you could put Will Anderson at any of those linebacker spots, and he'd be just fine. All right, final thing for you. Um, if If it's a Bama win, um, just give me either a score or a range of a score and, and, and what the path was. Uh, how did it happen? What are we talking about when we go into the uh, press conference postgame? Well, I think you touched on some of it. I think turnover margin, they need to be in the black there. Uh, and that's, that's a good sign for them because that's typically where they're at. They're there again this year. Um, but, but, yeah, the defense is going to have to be more of the story than probably even Bryce Young and Jamison Williams and John Mechie, I picked Georgia to win the game. So you know, I'm, I'm thinking that the dogs finally get it done in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But I also, I also, as I talked about earlier, um, I, I think Stetson Bennett's pass attempt number is big. If he gets north of 25 into the 30s, um, you know, that's, that's more of a game I think Alabama can feel comfortable with winning. Is it, it – where's the fan base? Is this going to be like Hoosiers coming over on 20? Or is it – Is are they a little more, uh, eh, maybe I'll save my Amex? No, I think they'll show up. You know, I think the Alabama fans will show up. I think the Alabama fans, uh, the fan base isn't uh, lacking the confidence that I think the rest of the country seems to be in, in, awesome. in the Alabama team. So I, I think they will show up. I think Alabama will show up too. I know it's a little bit surprising given the narrative, but I, I think Nick Saban is going to load them up today. All right, brother. I appreciate you coming on, man. We will talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Chad. Yes, sir. Travis Ryer. Get him on Twitter, Twitter at Travis Ryer, uh, com. And so that's great because I just want the environment. See, this is the cool part. I'm not involved. Um, I got a buddy of mine that, 
just a giant and there's there's fans of everybody and so i'm about to say something you're like really that team has fans yes everybody does i had a buddy of mine's a texas rangers fan like uber fan and back that 2011 world series i can tell you i was at the world golf village in saint augustine it was a thursday night and i'm watching miami and virginia and virginia had a shot to win the acc coastal and they cagged um that same night i want to say the rangers had two Two strike counts in the ninth inning, and the Cardinals came back and won. I ain't a Cardinals fan, not a Rangers fan. You know what I did? I was like, oh my gosh, what a great game. Click, rolled over. That's me tomorrow. So if the Bama fan base is uber engaged, awesome. Good for Chuck. Because there's nothing better, man, that just the, the, the glass is about to crack. You're screaming so much, and the noise is there, and both teams may have to use timeouts at the line of scrimmage, and um, that's just the environment. Oh, and tomorrow, again, for whatever it's worth, because I have been at SEC title games before, and certainly Chick-fil-A Bowls, where I'm walking up to that stadium, and, I mean, it's the cold miser from that Christmas cartoon. It's just awful. Tomorrow, Dan, have you? I think it's supposed to be like 70 degrees tomorrow during the day. Yeah, it's unseasonably warm. Yeah, this is why we don't live in Milwaukee. And by the way, Milwaukee Sports Leader, if you're listening on the app, we'd love to be your affiliate. But this is why we don't live in Milwaukee or Akron. That's why we live in the South, because we get things like this. So uh, that will be tomorrow, and I will be down there at MBS, uh, hopefully, and, and again, with the Bama fan base in tow, uh, and hopefully a big environment down there for the SEC title game. The king of college football, no matter where you go, with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. Brock Bowers is 18. He's a true freshman. He plays a position that's not even really a position anymore. It's a tight end. In the Southeastern Conference, he's 18. He's got 10 touchdowns. That's not real. That's, that, that is once upon a time. Or, hey, there's this true freshman tight end in the Southeastern Conference. He's got 10 touchdowns. And, like, there's birds landing on your nose. That's made up. Oh, and look, Lad McConkey. He's second on the team in receiving yards. He's a freshman. I mean, you keep going down. It was freshman, freshman, sophomore, freshman, red shirt. I, I dare say Georgia might not have even played its best football offensively at any point this entire season. Want to head out now to somebody who can give some reflection on that as well because he's been there every Saturday from The Athletic. It is Seth Emerson. Seth, amigo, how are you? I'm doing well, very well, Chuck. Uh, 18-year-old tight end in this conference with 10 touchdowns uh, uh, how uh, what um that's that's that that to me is the is the perfect commentary on how kirby has stacked class after class after class of just elite horses and he was not even a top 100 recruit no. he was like a, a few spots out but they they play 
I, I, entering the year, Chuck, I, I thought he'd probably be the third best tight end on the team, you know, or maybe the one with the third most snaps, and he still might be were it not for Darnell Washington's injury. Um, I mean, they, it, they're just a – that, that is what Todd Munkin has done with his offense. You know, I, I think when, I still get questions from people about like, when is Georgia going to open up the offense and blah, blah, blah. I'm like it, it, it's open. It's just not, it's not what you may think is open. It's not the air raid or whatever, but he, he took the best thing he had going in the offense, which was the tight ends and said, I'm going to use these as much as possible. Two tight end sets are like most of the time and sometimes three times. Mm-hmm. And, and they use them in, in different ways and in, you know, Darnell Washington and John Fitzpatrick may not have the catches that Brock Bowers has. I mean, they don't have nearly the catches that he has, but they have as many snaps, and they're very important in blocking, and, and that means running and pass game. Interesting. And, I, you know, I've always said that the, the unintentional is the most revealing, and I realized when we were talking about um, the Bama offense – Almost all the conversation involved the Georgia defense. When I'm talking about how I think the Georgia offense plays tomorrow, I don't even mention the Bama defense. It's all about if they block, if they don't turn it over. Um, I agree with this offense. I said, folks, are we aware that they score more than 40 a game? The offense has been really good this year. It's just been different jersey numbers with the football. Right, and it's it's been overshadowed by the defense yeah. it's been it's been different than what people expected it, it, it hasn't been your your you know your old man georgia football of, of run the ball i mean i i was you know when you cover one team you don't see what's going on with other teams a lot of the time and i, I looked at michigan and this week i looked at michigan and i'm like wait a second they look a lot like the old georgia team they're strong on defense. They've got two really good running backs, and they've got a quarterback that doesn't make many mistakes. I think Magamara has like four interceptions. Mm-hmm. So Michigan is kind of the 2017 Georgia team. 2021 Georgia is its own team. You know, it, it's it's not Alabama 2011 or or anything. It, it's it's its own version, and it's it's pretty good. It's it's good on both sides of the ball. Just a lot of people don't realize it on offense. Ticket prices for tomorrow have looked like an EKG this week. I don't know if that's a storyline you follow very much. Um, have you heard anything, any sort of pulse from the Georgia fan base? Are they hot for this, or is, are they in the no. interesting position to save their money for Miami or Dallas? Well, I, I, I talk to more people about, like, yeah, whether it will be Miami or Dallas, and then are they going to spend the money on that or save it for Indy or just do both? And I, I think most people are kind of assuming they'll they'll happily – fork over more money if they need to go to Indy and Atlanta being right there. And, you know, the SEC, I mean, the SEC championship is basically on the calendar every year for Georgia fans. They just didn't have it last year. And, you know, there also wasn't a uh, Notre Dame trip or an LSU trip uh, this year, road trip in the SEC or, or non-conference. The, the big one was Charlotte, you know, which maybe you, you I, I know some fans who made a weekend of that, but basically what I'm saying is people have the disposable income that uh, I think they're they're ready to, and they, they will very happily fork over whatever they need to in order to go to all these games if, if possible. Wrapping up with Seth Emerson again uh, from The Athletic, it's interesting that you, you mentioned Charlotte there because that's where I wanted to uh, finish. Uh, is at the beginning. Uh, and I got to Charlotte that Wednesday night leading up to the game and was there for the next few days. Uh, you were there, obviously. Um, can you – is it even possible? Can you get in Seth's mind three months ago 
And did you think that this was possible? Not just 12-0, and 0, but that this team could be really have separated itself because they've been playing pretty close to their 100%. I wrote, in, and it's documented. You could go back to my, my second glance feature that runs every Monday morning after a game. I wrote after the Clemson game that this may be a special year. And there were people in the comments telling me to – go back and erase that, you know, because they were Georgia fans and they didn't want to be jinxed. But I think everyone got that sense that when they beat Clemson, that, and the way they did it, with defense and knowing they were going to get healthier on offense, which, by the way, they didn't tremendously get healthier on offense, but they didn't have a healthy Jermaine Burton, Karis Jackson, George Pickens, Dominic Blaylock, Darnell Washington for that game. And now they've got them. They don't have Arian Smith, and they're not all the way healthy with all those guys I just mentioned, especially Pickens and Blaylock. But they didn't have those guys, and everyone knew in that day when they left there and they banked a win against the hardest team they were going to face, they yeah. thought, and were back, and they had been up to this point. And they were going to get healthier on offense. Everyone said, this is a really good sign. But this dominant? No. No, I, I, I'm not sure anybody saw that because they, they, they didn't see. I think everyone figures that an LSU will come out of nowhere or an Alabama will come out of nowhere. Not Alabama coming out of nowhere, but Alabama will be Alabama, and Alabama has not been Alabama. You haven't had a Joe Burrow LSU type year. That hasn't happened. The, the, the team, that team this year is Georgia. I think Kirby's going to get $15 million a year. What do you think? <laughs> I think he'll be happy with 10. I think uh, I, I, if I would ballpark it, it'd probably be between nine and twelve million. Uh, he will happily uh, take some of that and put it towards assistant salaries, bank it towards facilities needed down the road, uh, that kind of stuff. I'm not sure he's. Yeah, you know, and the other thing is, no one's coming after him. No. So Jimmy, Jimmy may need another year to, uh, you know, if he really wants to. I mean, you know what I mean. If he had had any interest in the LSU job or whatever. Then, or the yeah, Philadelphia Eagles or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, we'll know that there's some, some hiccups in contract negotiations when we start hearing his name for NFL jobs. When do you think that that I, – I mean, it wouldn't surprise me given what's going on. Mel Tucker just got $95 million. It wouldn't surprise me if Kirby – like Sunday morning Kirby may get an announcement. Am I way off I, on that? I, I think I think more focused on – I think they're too focused on getting – this championship and last time after the 2017 run to the national championship i think his contract was announced i was in the munich germany airport when it was announced so i remember so it was like mid-may yeah yeah i mean good really good breakfast there um and so i, I don't know if i'd say mid-may this time but you'll, you'll probably hear something about you know we're we're having to go you know negotiations that kind of thing I, I don't think there'll be much drama about it for anyone who didn't pick that up i suggested 15 million a year for a college coach seth said don't be silly it will probably only be 12 seth i yeah. appreciate you brother thanks chuck all right seth emerson from the athletic no chuck you're being uh, oh that's so funny it'll only be 12 million can you use the word only if it's 12 million i don't think so there are certain words like as precursors that you just can't use. I caught my – you know what I said this week? It's already Tuesday. Already does not go with Tuesday, does it? Already Tuesday. I was looking at the week, and every single day there was this giant, like, scheduling. Imagine, like, if your day is a giant room – 
there's this huge coffee table in the middle of the room every single day this week. And so I was like, oh, already Tuesday, already checking them off. So, um, yes, only $12 million. I'm telling you, there is velocity in the coaching market right now. And so I think, honestly, it could be – I mentioned this earlier. I think it would be 48 hours. Um, but the best news possible, for at least off-field news for Georgia fans, the best off-field news, your coach is not going to the NFL. Your coach isn't going anywhere, I don't believe. And, again, if you're looking at Mel Tucker, who $9.5 million, Nothing gets Mel Tucker, but I'm, I'm saying whatever it is you think Mel Tucker is as a head coach, whatever you think, and we know what Michigan State thinks, whatever you think of Mel Tucker as a head coach, okay, that's the starting point because Jimbo Fisher is making the exact same money because he signed his deal like two months earlier. I said, yeah, Jimbo's looking around going, wait a minute, what, huh? So if Mel's 10 and 95, and I think Brian Kelly I saw was 10 and 110, and Lincoln Riley is a little more difficult because of the houses involved and the private jet involved, but his is estimated to be at the $110 million mark as well. Folks, what has Lincoln Riley not done as much as Kirby? So, so that what has Mel Tucker not done? I, as much as uh, uh, most coaches in the Big Ten. You talk about the great time. Kenneth Walker. I'm leaving Wake Forest. Uh, I'm going to land uh, East Lansing. I'll go there. All he was looking for was, where's some linemen? Where's a running back depth chart that I can, where's potentially a play caller who likes to run? Hmm. Michigan State. All right, I'll go there. Kenneth Walker just played a huge role in Mel Tucker getting $95 million. So, yeah, Kirby, he's not signing for that. I can promise you. So, when he's already at, what is it, seven or seven and a half? And, and then he's got a Ford commercial and all kinds of stuff, too. So, all right, we're going to break, come back, wrap up on a Friday next. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. I had a tremendous uh, time while I was at Alabama, accomplished uh, a lot of great things, and very appreciative of uh, the things I got to grow as a coach there and raise, you know, a family, and, and all my kids were born there. My wife still has a lot of friends there in the Tuscalo- Tuscaloosa community, so it's been a big part of it. than most coaches and especially in the most recent decade and a half and you never say that for a coach started as a Kirby smart and he was talking and uh, reflecting on his because there's always gonna be a question about it and it's relevant and at some point it's been long enough that you know he has to remember uh, uh oh yeah and then when Nick Saban isn't there anymore then it won't be nearly as relevant but he was Kirby was part of, I think it's, can I use the word famous down at Valdosta State? Like there was, there, there was a time Valdosta State 
Mike Leach go through there? Kirby? I think Will Muschamp might have coached down at Valdosta. But then got hooked up with Nick Saban at LSU. Was with him in the NFL for a season. And then when Nick Saban took the job in Tuscaloosa, he brought Kirby along, and he was coaching secondary, and then he was coaching the entire defense, and he did that for eight seasons as D.C. And he went from getting job offers to getting career offers. He went from being offered um, Ferris State to San Jose State, to Colorado State, to Georgia. And I'm just using those as examples. That's the level up. And I got to tell you, the re- he, was DC- he was D.C. at Alabama through the end of the 15 season, and it's fair conjecture that the only reason that he finally accepted a job then was because it came from Georgia. And the only reason Georgia got involved was because Steve Spurrier had chosen to move on from South Carolina and the Gamecocks started sniffing around Kirby. There is a chance that Steve Spurrier retiring is what set all of this in motion. And so that's him talking about his time with Nick Saban. And again, so since 2000. When did Nick Saban uh, seven? So for 14 years, he's only been lived in two places. Good for him. If you don't know, by the way, he's like, you know, my wife has friends there. If you don't know who Kirby Smart's wife is, Kirby led the SEC in interceptions one year, didn't he? Yeah, his wife, way better of an athlete. I mean, she's just a killer kill so go look up kirby's wife uh she's a hoops player and she's all-timer so um that was it's 15 years for a head coach and you get to only be in two places that's not normal by the way speaking of coaches and new deals coming and all that to i'll say most college football media not everybody and i'm not preachy and i'm not your daddy or your boss or anything like that but to most college football media i i, I would like to say he's a head coach not a pinata Enough beating on Brian Kelly. He changed jobs. Nobody died. Nobody was born. This is a game. I saw, uh, what was it this morning? The, and by the way, this is just the latest. Dan, did you? Uh, maybe you didn't see this one. Lou Holtz has now spoken out about no. how disappointed and let down he is. What, it would have been better to go on probation and have the NCAA sniffing around? That's how you exit Notre Dame? It would have been better if if it was that. No. See, we're talking about a game. College football. Brian Kelly as head coach somewhere, that is his 12 hours a day work life. He gets to choose without my approval. I have seen so many people speaking out. Uh, So disappointing. Folks, he's he's a football coach and, and one with pressure, not like I was a football coach. I taught English for six hours and then I coached football for two. That's not what it is with him. It's at 12 hours during the season. Eh, more. All right, well, let's put on an online poll. Is it OK if I take a job somewhere else? Maybe he's tired of snow. I don't whatever. 
And I would be saying the same thing if he had left LSU and gone to Notre Dame. And instead of Lou Holtz, it would have been, who would have been? Jerry DiNardo coming out. I'm very disappointed. Stop. This is his work life. Head coach, not a pinata. Lay off Brian Kelly. Not even my coach. Lay off Brian Kelly. What up, Dan? Well, now the newest one is everybody's picking apart his halftime speech oh, at gosh. the basketball game. Oh, he's and got a, a southern accent yeah, now, apparently. listen to his southern accent. People, stop. Like, it really is. Can I stay? I'm glad you brought that yeah. up. This, we're breaking down. Now it's like Kevin Costner and Robin Hood. Um, <laughs> folks, I assume, and I'm just going to talk to the dudes because I know we got plenty of ladies, but I'm just going to narrow If you have a wife, go hug her. If you got some kids, ask them about their homework. If you are breaking down the accent of Brian Kelly at halftime, go hug somebody you love. All right? Just spend your time doing that instead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're fine. I mean, it's just that's what we do now. If there's something out there in the universe, we don't have to think about it. We just go with it, and it's just, uh, you know, a resounding, yeah, 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 you're right. So so right on that. Uh, Remember, Chuck, before the season even began, and you were in uh, Hoover, Alabama at SEC Media Days. I'm in Charlotte at ACC kickoff, and I remember Jim Phillips, the commissioner of the conference, saying, we got to be better at football. This has to be a better conference, and we've got to make it more of a priority. Kind of like what we heard a few years ago from Greg Sankey when he first took over as a conference commissioner, where he said, yeah, men's basketball, we're pretty bad, aside from Kentucky. We need to fix that. And the conference fixed it. I don't know if there's necessarily going to be a magic wand, but I think if nothing else, there needs to be a targeted approach because I think we can all agree the ACC is their best when when Tallahassee is rocking and when Florida State is great. And it was supposed to be Miami and Virginia Tech a few years ago, but that has just not been the case. If nothing else, your flagship programs are the ones that have to make the the meter move and have to be able to make this conference what it is. Remember, I told you a few years ago of being at a bar. I know, a great place to uh, get uh, show content, but a guy trying to tell me the ACC is better than the SEC now, and I said, that's not even remotely true i finished my drink and i said i'm not even going to finish this conversation because that is just patently false and just not even beyond still show content though yeah it is show content like i said i mean it's it's in a bar but still i mean it wasn't true then and it especially isn't true now the conference is not the strongest when wake forest and Pitt are playing in the the acc championship game the conference is the strongest when it's clemson against miami clemson against florida state Clemson, hell, against North Carolina. That is when the conference is at its strongest. And as of right now, Jim Phillips, you got some work to do. Yep, that's the um, – and that's the, the the real charge for the ACC because you can't have a more heritage conference basketball-wise because it just goes so much deeper than, for instance, just like, quote, just Indiana, Michigan, or UCLA out west, whatever. Uh, basketball don't carry the day for your boutique networks. Football does. And the ACC network, did it just take them for over three years or three seasons to get on Comcast? Okay. Now you're everywhere. The SEC network debuted in Key West and Anchorage. All right, wraps it up on a Friday, wraps it up for the week. David, tremendous job on the ones and twos. Dan, appreciate everything you did, everybody listening. A couple days, I will recharge the batteries, and we'll come back and talk playoff seeds and bowl bids and everything else on Monday on the Chuck Oliver Show.